welcome to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church. My name is Adam Draycott. Again, welcome to you. Uh, this ministry has been prepared today for the 23rd of May, uh, 2021, this Whit Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Our sentence of scripture comes from Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible readings today come from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9, Psalm 130, and Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. That's our preaching passage. Please take a moment to read through, especially Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you that we can gather this way with our Bibles open, that we can uh, look at Romans chapter 6. We ask for your help. We ask that you be at work by your Spirit, showing us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, when we come to Romans chapter 6, now, these are verses I wish I understood a little better as a young man or as a teenager. Uh, make no mistake, my pastors, uh, my, my local church ministers would preach grace faithfully. Uh, but the grace that I'd come to understand and embrace a little too well is what we might call cheap grace. And kind of, what is cheap grace? Well, it kind of works like this. The logic is, if God's grace abounds, then what does my sin really matter? And you can maybe come to that conclusion from chapter 6, verse 14. It says that we're not under the law, but under grace. And if that's true, if we're not under the law, but under grace, then who cares? We can all just fall back on forgiveness, right? I mean... It was almost like, can I now have it both ways? Let people do what they want. Be young, be free. Here's the good news of the gospel. Terrible. Now, what would you say to a young Adam? Uh, is this the gospel that resonates with you somehow? Uh, do we get grace? Well, that's, that's the challenge of chapters 5 and 6, really. Uh, let's read verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? See the logic? It's the same kind of screwy logic. Is the gospel of faith in Jesus and having a right standing with God because of Jesus, is that a passport to sinful indulgence? If you look back at chapter 5, verse 20, a few verses prior, the Apostle Paul has just said that the law was added so that trespass might increase. And by increase, I think he means give us a greater sense of the trespass. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now here is, again, someone in the peanut gallery, as this is being read out in, in the gathering. They might call out and go, you know, hey, if sin therefore causes grace to increase, well, why wouldn't I therefore sin in order to produce more grace? See the screwy logic? And this is what Paul is trying to tackle. Does the gospel promote a slack attitude to sin? That is the question. Is there now no restraint on our behaviour where anything goes? And... Look, if you consider the uh, developments in the Anglican Church of Australia, you might draw that conclusion. It's possible. 
Of course, this is where the legalist interjects, and they would have been in uh, the Roman church, and they would have been protesting at this, going, look, no, this is why we need the law. Hear the screwy logic. It is screwy, so let's get back to the law. But the logic goes that if you set aside God's law, then you set aside a, a deterrent for bad behaviour. Uh, the logic goes that the law gives us a restraint, like a seatbelt. And we should all wear seatbelts, right? But here's the kick, because verse 14, the Apostle Paul does not command us to keep the law. It is still true. We are not under law. We're under grace. We've got to go with grace. And so the question still stands, does the gospel promote a slack attitude to sin? Of course, we get the answer in verse 2. By no means. The, the logic of cheap grace is preposterous to Paul. We're supposed to be dead to that. We're, we are those who have died to sin, it says. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We're supposed to be dead to all that. It's a bit like the married man dies to his bachelorhood. He is dead to his singleness. The idea is, mate, you're married. You don't go back to being single. Well, in the same way, the Christian is dead to sin. No going back. But how? How does that work? How are we dead to sin? What has happened in history that makes us dead to sin? Well, verse 3. Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have, we too may live a new life. Uh, when I worked in another parish, uh, we had church, we walked down to the local pool and uh, we fully immersed this bloke um, it was great. Bore testimony to Jesus, told his story. He was a biker, and he beard and tats. And so it was all. He went under the water, full immersion baptism, and we we kept him under a little while just to make sure of it. <laughs> and he come up and he rose out of the water. Uh, when adults are baptized, it's a beautiful picture of being acted out of what Christ has first done for them, for us. Christ died. Christ died, he's buried, he's put under, and he's raised. And as I, the person getting baptised, I am put under, I am buried in the water, and I'm raised. And as I do that, as we do that, we are identifying with what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. What he did way back then, he did for me. I am joined to Jesus in this. I identify with Jesus in this. And so verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised in his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might live a new life. True for us as well. It means, all this means, that the death of Jesus is what we might call a proxy death. 
Jesus is our substitute. Do you know the word proxy? Uh, if you go to, in the business of going to meetings for public companies or the NRMA, instead of actually attending the meeting, you can send through the mail or over email your proxy vote about whatever decision's being proposed. You can give your vote to someone else so that when they vote, it's actually them voting on your behalf. And here we see that in the death of Jesus. It's a proxy death. He dies. We are involved in his death as he dies. It's like I'm laid out in the tomb, but also I'm raised to new life in union with him as he does all this on our behalf. Its impact touches me and you. And all of this is symbolised by baptism. Baptism is a constant reminder of our participation in Christ's death and his resurrection. So verse 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, which we have 2,000 years ago, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Did you see verse 6? Who died? We know our old self was crucified. You were crucified. Here is a staggering truth. Verse 6 is telling you that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on a cross, you, your old self, your old nature, that which is tainted by sin, died. You were crucified. Your old nature, done away with, taken out of here. Why? Verse 6, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Which means, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can stand up and say no to temptation and sin. Sin, through the cross of Jesus, has been knocked out of gear. It's no longer the controlling influence over our life. We died to it. Just as surely as Christ died for it, we died to it and we've been raised to new life. Wonderful promise. Verse 4, that we may live a new life. Verse 5, we are united with him in his resurrection. Verse 8, we will live with him. Verses 9 to 10, he lives to God and so do we. Here is a truth to live by. Here is how we are to see ourselves as we get on in the world. But we're Anglicans, right? So we've got challenges. Here's one challenge that we've got. Every church service we go to seems to start with a confession. Okay, nearly all. We start, which means that we're starting with a disposition of guilt and we reckon with our guilt and then we move to grace, which is really dangerous if we don't get grace because it just leaves us with our guilt. That's a thing. That's a challenge. Uh, shame. The shame of being in church and confessing guilt and not being able to work past that. 
But curiously, the other challenge is the one that actually Paul speaks of here, which is the opposite of what I just shared. It's the danger of cheap grace. That sin, the danger of not understanding the seriousness of sin and being ambivalent or indifferent towards it. That sin somehow now carries no consequences because cheap grace is somehow undemanding. Maybe cheap grace is also tolerant and inclusive because anything goes. Right? Anything goes. But if we've been reading Romans 6, we'll see that this grace is actually costly. This grace is expensive because Christ died for your sins. On that cross, Jesus died in your place. And because Jesus died in your place, It is completely wrong-headed to go back to that for which Christ has already died. Christ dies for sin. Why would you go back to sin? It's bonkers. And so Paul is right. You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so grace abounds. Absolutely, but the fact that grace abounds does not mean that sin abounds. That's ridiculous. Grace is not a license for sin. I needed to be told that as a young man. Adam, grace is not a license for sin. That's ridiculous. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. See who our master is? It's not death and it's not sin. It's Jesus. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. I love that word count. You could replace it with reckon. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Do the sums. Make the calculations. Work it out. That's the sense of it. Use your brain. Uh, At home, uh, we we used to have this useless toy called a Wii U, right? Who came up with that name, Wii U? And if you know what a Wii U is, it's a computer game that you plug into the TV. And uh, even more useless was this other thing that came with it called the Wii Fit. <laughs> the Wii Fit is ultra useless, I'm going to say. But no, you've probably used one. You think it's great. That's all right. You can. But if you've seen them, you know that you can stand on the platform. And, and when you first use it, you've got to enter in your height. And then it weighs you. So you can't fib about how much you weigh. And then it does the sums. It works things out. And I remember being on it. I've got a a decent-sized TV. And on the TV appears this fat little man with a beard, with an oversized head. How's that? Oversized head? Yep, that's what I thought so. Is that better? Darby, you happy now? Good. An oversized head, uh, cartoon thing. No, it looked nothing like me, okay? Nothing like me. 
And then I get the verdict. And this is supposed to be a game. It's supposed to be fun. But it wasn't fun because it told me that I was overweight. Well, how is this fun? How do they sell these things? Who buys them? And all the statistics were there. All the calculations. And it was telling me how I am to see myself. In the we universe, Adam, here is your reality. And it didn't matter how I felt. It didn't matter about my emotions and I was really sad because it called me fat and all that kind of stuff. How I felt wasn't going to change any of that. And notice that's Paul's strategy here as well. He's not saying to anybody, hey, feel positive about yourself. He's not saying you need to feel this about yourself. He's actually saying, use your brain, work it out, do the calculations Make the numbers, because in God's universe, here is your reality. You are dead to sin. Sin is no longer your master. And now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so you need to see yourself the way God sees you. Dead to sin, alive to Him. Use your brain. Think about that. Absorb it. Take it in. Work it out. It's all very practical, isn't it? If you like numbers, you'll love this application. It gets you thinking, that that Easter uh, event, we celebrate it every year. Hey, the resurrection, new beauty. But Paul is saying that what is true on the Easter weekend is to be our daily experience. Because Christ died Good Friday, didn't he? And he rose triumphant over the grave Easter Sunday. And so in Christ, I've died to sin. And now I've been raised to new a new quality of life through my union with Jesus. It's my daily experience. This is what I have to work out. This is what I've got to think through and apply to my life as I live as God's person in this world. Paul continues to help us work it out. So verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it reign. Jesus dethroned sin. Jesus dethroned death. They have no power, so don't go there. Why would you go back there? They don't rule. Or verse 13, with a, a worship mindset, I think, in verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Not your eyes, not your mouths or your tongue, not your stomachs, not your mind, if I didn't say that already, not your ears, not your pockets, or that which is in the same general vicinity. Do not offer such things as instruments of wickedness. No way. That again, that offering, it has um, a worship aspect to it. But rather, in our worship, offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There it is again. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. What a beautiful prospect. You are to see yourself dead to sin, alive to Christ, you want to see yourself, you want to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness.
which reminds us our position must be we cannot be in Christ and have a settled attitude to live comfortably with sin. We cannot be in Christ and be indifferent about holiness. Someone might say, oh, but Adam, that's just the way I am. I can't help it. And oh, Adam, in this day and age, it's so different. No, you cannot be in Christ and have an in have a settled attitude to comfortably live with sin. It is not who we are. Does it mean we'll be perfect? No. No, not saying that. But it does mean by the Holy Spirit we have tools, we have equipment to combat temptation and sin. You'll, will you ever overcome it? No, no. No, not until the Lord's return. But the Scripture's encouragements None of that negates the, the, the encouragements of the Scriptures that make it clear that we're not to open the door to sin. We're not to allow it under our roof. We are not to live lives that are characterised by a pattern of sin. But the encouragement here is the assurance that we're in Christ. And because... Uh, he died as me and for me, and he now lives in me and through me. We have the promise that we are not alone, that he is always with us to help with his counsel. Temptation can be overcome. Martin Luther says, when sin comes knocking on your door, I say, he's died, go away, and therefore go away, and he does. Make this calculation about yourself. I am dead to sin. What is sin like? Someone describes sin as being like a speculative mining stock that always promises much, yet never pays a dividend. You owe sin nothing. Does the gospel encourage sin? No, Adam, not on your life. Make the calculation about yourself that God has made about you. You are dead to sin and you are alive to him. As God sees us, so we are to see ourselves. We are instruments of righteousness. We are instruments of Christ-likeness, if you like. We shine his love and his light we are people who know his costly grace and his costly love. There's nothing cheap about grace, that's for sure. We do this as people growing in Christ. Amen.
是。